Hi, welcome to another episode of Kidon War Stories on the Cutting Edge of IP Monetization. My name is David L. Cohen. I am the owner of Kidon IP, a consultancy, and David L. Cohen PC, a law firm, where we provide IP monetization services to clients large and small. Each episode, I interview another subject matter expert and leaders in the worldwide the wide world of prosecuting, asserting, analyzing, monetizing, and defending intellectual property and all the various fields associated with that. You can find this show on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitchers, Spotify, and many more. Today, my guest is an old friend, Chris Colvin, who I've known for many years. Uh, we were first co-counsel together uh, in a rather interesting situation, um, sometime around 2003, I want to say. Right. And we've kept in touch for many years since. And today, um, while we can talk and sing Chris's praises uh, for many as many experiences as a patent litigator, what we really want to talk about today is something that I think uh, patent folks have a lot of experience with, um, basically the, the nature of the law, is, is sort of how entrepreneurship in IP and entrepreneurship and being a lawyer come together. And Chris is, is uh, nothing if not entrepreneurial as a lawyer. And um, he has done a lot of interesting things over the years and a lot of interesting ways that he's combined his, his IP knowledge, his legal knowledge, his practice of law with being an entrepreneur across many domains. And so enough, enough singing his praises. I'll let, him, I'll let him talk a little bit about himself. Uh, tell, tell, us about, um, tell us a little bit about how you got here and focusing on, on how you got interested in entrepreneurship. Sure. So very brief recap of my career. I've been a lawyer for a little over 26 years now. Um, and primarily, I've been a broad-based IP litigator. I am a registered patent attorney, but I've actually done all different areas of IP litigation so I, um, for 26 years. Prior to that, I was an aerospace and software engineer for IBM. So um, that training, obviously, sort of led me to an interest in uh, all things technical. Uh, so you're a rocket scientist, huh? I guess I am. My kids give me a hard time. Rocket scientist turned lawyer, I guess, would be the headline in terms of my day job. So um, in terms of when I first got interested in entrepreneurship, it really goes back to my days at IBM. So when I was an engineer at IBM, I would sometimes work with contractors or clients that were smaller and very entrepreneurial. So sometimes got to meet the CEOs of these fast growing startups. And it was always an interesting contrast for me working at sort of a relatively uh, traditional technology company like IBM on the East Coast and dealing with startups from all over the country. So that sort of planted a seed uh, in my mind about, wow, there's different ways to develop and apply technology. And if you know, I actually got into IP law because I met some uh, IBM patent lawyers in the gym of all places and started talking <laughs> to them about their work for IBM and got very interested in um, that IP law as a sort of a combination of my, I guess you could say my left brain skills and my right brain skills. So it's kind of looking for a role that would allow me to use my uh, interest in reading and writing and speaking <laughs> and uh, combine that with my technical interests. Um, and I paid my way through law school partly by being a patent searcher in the USPTO, for those that know, the old one in Crystal City. 
and I, it was really interesting because I got to work directly with the inventors themselves, got to understand their inventions, would go do the searching in the patent office. So that again was another exposure to startup companies and inventors. Um, and then finally, as an IP lawyer, um, I was also working as a practicing IP lawyer after law school, I was working with many startups and I tried to carve out a niche in my practice, which I still do today, um, trying to make IP affordable for companies of all sizes. And it could be a challenge as you get more senior and your billing rate goes up. How do you serve uh, companies that aren't as large and maybe need to um, you know, keep, uh, sort of keep uh, costs down? So that, you know, trying to wrap all that into one package, I'd say what I've tried to do as a lawyer is to bring sort of um, the efficiency focus and the client driven nature of, uh, of engineering practice into the law with me so that I'm trying to make the practice of IP law, even high stakes IP litigation, uh, efficient and relatively affordable for companies of different sizes. Well, so, so coming from somewhere like, you know, an IBM, which has a, repu a certain reputation with all due respect to its earlier days as being somewhat of a staid place um, and, and the practice of law. And I know you've done um, some, you know, white shoe firms in your day. Yes. It, it, those are not environments that sort of facilitate what, what might be called entrepreneurialism or uh, anything other than a, a certain category of approach to, to, to engaging in business. And, and so I, you know, one of the things that, 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 that struck me in what you just said is that this whole idea of where to go next came in the gym. And, you know, one of your entrepreneurial sort of sideshows or main shows or is, is, is your networking uh, entrepreneurial activities. And, and I think, I think that that really says something about how you start to develop as an entrepreneur as to where you find your ideas from and maybe you could speak a little bit about how how you sort of developed your your entrepreneurial spirit from from sort of sort of thinking out of the box or exposing yourself to to be able to think out of the box yeah i would say sort of maybe the best way to answer that is sort of my through my own personal journey uh, as a as a child and, and young adult and in school, I was always fascinated by technology and that's why I went down the engineering path. I, I'd say what I learned as a practicing engineer was what one thing I found even more interesting than technology was people. Uh, the people who created technology, invented technology, monetized that technology. So um, I, I realized that um, I was fascinated by the stories and journeys of those entrepreneurs that were creating the IP of the future uh, and um, wanted to be involved with that myself. And so I was always on the lookout for those opportunities to be a little more entrepreneurial. Even as you mentioned, I was at White Shoe Firms and was a partner at, a, at an AMLAW firm for a number of years. Uh, but even then, I always had an eye for the entrepreneurial client and figuring out a way to work effectively with them. So I tend to, and I still today run lean teams on my litigations. I think it's better to have a smaller group and have everyone uh, working very hard and uh, sort of in the harness together, working very hard on behalf of the client. So because I had my eyes open for those opportunities, as a pretty young lawyer, I was asked to uh, take a um, startup general counsel gig way back in the year 
2000. Um, and I was, you know, only been practicing for a few years, but I thought, hey, here's a chance to try something different. It was the first dot-com boom, you know. I remember. <laughs> so I lived through the dot-com boom. And, and, and although that opportunity eventually went away, I did, it was a great job for, uh, a, a, I think, a little less than a year, but a great inter and interesting job. And unlike IP law, it expanded my, I had to cover all the legal issues that the company was dealing with and, you know, from soup to nuts, which was pretty interesting. Employment law, real estate law, all kinds of things that I didn't have niche expertise in, but I had a network of people that I could pull in. So um, that was sort of, um, I think it was that openness to meeting and talking with entrepreneurs that led to that opportunity. Um, and even though that particular opportunity fell by the wayside and I didn't get the, you know, the, uh, the you know, the, the stock options never became worth very much like we had all heard, it was still a great experience and I really enjoyed it. So ever since 2000, I've sort of had these gigs on and off and it was sort of a way of having my cake and eating it too. I could, by day, I could be the button down lawyer in the big firm and, you know, on the night and the weekends and, and, and in uh, networking settings, I could explore entrepreneurship. So I'd say that's really, that's really how I got into it was that openness and that interest in the, in the, in the um, inventors I dealt with and then the other entrepreneurs I met along the way. So, so, you know, there's a lot of ways you can sort of think about being in work. And, and, you know, on one hand, you can say, uh, we're not just some sort of feedback. Um, on the one hand, you could be an entrepreneur as a lawyer, like an entrepreneurial lawyer in your area, coming up with new ways, new ways to come up, new, new aspects of the law, new ways to apply the law. Uh, another way is you can, um, I don't know, is there, can, can you, can you hear my mic? There's a little bit of background noise coming from somewhere, but I don't know. Um, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Maybe it was just the position. Who knows? Very strange. It's as two technology people, there's, there's, there's no accounting for technology, I guess. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, there's uh, entrepreneurs within the law, entrepreneurs within your subdomain, entrepreneurs as a lawyer. You can be a, a very creative lawyer, come up with very interesting business models at the to-do law. And then there are sort of, and I know this is where I think I think we both try to play, sort of using our, our skills that we've gained as a lawyer to do entrepreneurial things sort of outside of our traditional practice, whether it's creating a networking group, whether it's being a consultant, whether it's actually starting up your own company that uses the skills that you've gained across your life to, to provide services or make things that, 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 that are so that, 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 that you learned how to do as a lawyer. So when you say that you're an entrepreneur, I mean, I know, I guess you could say all of them, but maybe you could speak to those sort of four sort of separate areas. One, just sort of being an entrepreneur at, in your day job, being an entrepreneur, sort of in your general profession, using your services, using what you learned to be a lawyer and, and coming up with entrepreneurial things sort of outside of purely the practice of law. And then, you know, just being an entrepreneur generally as a lawyer and as a, someone else doing something else at the same time. Yeah, sure. I'll try to touch on each of those. 
first of all, I guess um, if I, I don't know if I'll take them in order, but I'll try to hit all of those uh, areas. <laughs> take them in order, the most interesting to our viewers, Chris. Okay, that, I'll do my best. So <laughs> I, I think that um, trying to be more entrepreneurial as a practicing lawyer first, I think to me that flows directly from being as client driven as possible. So whether my client's a very large company or a very small growing company, either way, um, they want me as their outside counsel to focus on their business needs. And if I can bring back in my engineering experience, one thing that's interesting when you go from engineering to law is engineering when I practiced, especially back in the late 80s, early 90s, we were going through something of a crisis as a profession. I don't know if anyone that's old enough to remember, I think Japanese companies and German companies in particular were sort of outdoing a lot of US companies in terms of quality and efficiency and metrics, trying to measure our success by client needs and how quickly and efficiently and well we are meeting those needs. So you have client needs, you have efficiency, and you have quality, those three key factors. And the U.S. engineering profession really, in credit to all those engineers, really turned itself around. And now we're pretty much back on top in terms of all three of those areas, I think most people would say, and lots of companies you can name, but lots of fantastic companies doing very well. And IBM really turned itself around, by the way, as well, because they went through some difficult times and are now doing quite well and along with a lot of other companies. So when I moved to the law, the quality was outstanding. There's so many brilliant lawyers. Uh, the quality of the uh, work product by most uh, reputable firms and lawyers is absolutely outstanding, but there's less of a focus on efficiency, I think it's fair to say, back then and even today. And there's less of a direct focus on what I'm, whether what I'm doing is meeting the client's business objectives. Um, so I sort of early on in my practice tried to transport what I learned in engineering to the practice of law. So I have what I call my triple bottom line. So for every matter, I try to think on three levels. Um, obviously, I want legal success. So if it's a litigation, I want to win for my client. Then I have to think institutional success. Um, what is the client business objective that this uh, or objectives that this litigation is supposed to serve? And have I succeeded on that level? And thirdly, it's very personal. Uh, my own relationship with the in-house lawyer or the business executive who is in charge of this litigation, is this a good experience for them or a, a, as painless as possible? And is it is it helping them move along their own trajectory? So that's been my own sort of uh, lodestar as a practicing lawyer. And I think it meshes well with the entrepreneurial approach. Um, then if I think as an entrepreneur in my, on, in my own right, I think is another of the categories you mentioned, um, what I try to do is tie uh, my interests directly to uh, my day job. So right. I, I really try to have a practical mindset. So a lot of my ventures have been around trying to bring more innovation and more um, a more client-driven approach to very traditional areas. Um, and law is wonderful. There's a lot of wonderful traditions in the law, but I also think we still need more uh, innovation in the law and we need to be more client-driven and more efficient. So um, for instance, Park is my venture really that tries to bring together uh, in-house counsel, outside counsel and legal technologists into an online platform so that we can all share knowledge with each other and make sure that uh, we have a strong 
professional network, each individual member, as well as collectively, we're learning how to better work together, um, make better use of technology, learn more about our the, the sort of business community from our clients who after all are experts in where business meets law. So that's, that's really, uh, I try to make those side, if you're talking about side entrepreneurship, which is what I do, I really, it has to sort of uh, rhyme well or mesh well with my day job. And so that's, that's, that's what interests me. You know, I think, I think one of the things I learned very early on is that sometimes, you know, lawyers are trained always to win, whatever it is, win the negotiation, win the trial, win the case, win the deposition. Right. And very early on in my career, in-house career, I should say, I was taught the, the, the concept of a strategic loss. Sometimes you have to lose in order to win the bigger picture, which is just a, you know, a, a militarized way of saying that sometimes you really need to understand what the client's business goals are. Right. And, and sometimes you don't want to do what it takes to win in that particular instance because it goes against their, their, their goals. And I, and I think having uh you know your training as a as someone who, who, who's dealing with entrepreneurs all the time sort of made you much more attuned to to sort of identifying that because many clients are not forthcoming as to what their goals are and sometimes you just have to get onto their wavelength and, and lawyers and entrepreneurs and clients don't always speak the same they use the same words but they speak different languages as it were yeah. uh, and it, and it's it's important to, to be able to get into their their mindset but so, so talk to me a little bit about Park and, and how it came to be and, and, and what's that all about and why, why, that's, why you're excited about your latest venture. Absolutely. So um, there's several different strands that I can go down. I'll try to keep it brief. But um, way back over 10 years ago, I really started two groups. I was a young partner at a big law firm and I suddenly realized, oh, uh, I need to also build a book of business, right? So it's sort of like something they don't teach you in law school, something, you know, when you're, when you're building lots and lots of hours as an associate, you don't always have time to think about that. And I thought, right. what do I enjoy? I really enjoy people. I've always been a gregarious person. In college, I used to just walk into the lunchroom, and if I didn't see friends, I'd just join a table and introduce myself. So that's always been sort of my mode of operation. Really embarrasses my kids because on the New York City subway system, I'll talk to complete strangers, which they think is really bizarre, but partly me, partly my uh, growing up in Baltimore, which is a very uh, friendly town, and everyone says hi to strangers and things. So it's a different, yeah, it's sort of the way I am. But I decided, hey, why not take that and start some networking groups? So I started one for other young, you know, not all young, but all law partners who are also looking to meet each other to build sort of a referral network with each other. Um, and also um, my clients and other in-house counsel I knew, I thought, why not get them together? And I started out with a separate, you know, I kept these groups separate for a number of years just to sort of do casual networking events. And I'd find sponsors to pay for the drinks and, you know, or the, and the food and, and the venue. And, you know, it, I think it, you know, went very well for a number of years. Obviously things changed a bit in the pandemic. So when, <laughs> when the pandemic occurred, um, I decided to mix things up and really do something I had been planning before, but wasn't, uh, wasn't really able to get around to. But during the pandemic, I thought, well, this is the perfect opportunity to build an online platform where I can bring folks together, not only from the New York area, but around the country. Um, and our, our sponsor, uh, it happened that our sponsor community 
happened to largely be in the legal tech space. So I thought, hey, here's my opportunity to marry my own personal interests with in-house counsel, outside counsel, and legal technologists. I, you know, I call it BLT. You know, if I was a sandwich, I'd be a BLT. I believe in bringing business, law, and technology together on individual projects, as well as within the park platform. And I think if you have those three sectors talking to each other, we can learn a lot. As you point out, business, law, and technology, they all speak different languages. We need, right. we need to meet each other, learn each other's language to the degree that we can and learn from each other. So essentially take some non-billable time, you know, to get to know each other better. And I think for the outside council, hopefully that leads to billable time. For the in-house council, hopefully it leads to them expanding their network of potential firms they might want to work with and also exploring legal technology options that might be interesting to them. And to the legal technology firms, that creates the opportunity to better understand the technology needs of both in-house council and outside council. So, so that's, that's really Park evolved over time, but I've always had this vision to bring those people together onto a single platform. So during the uh, pandemic, I actually brushed off my old software engineering skills and worked with a CTO to build a brand new platform for all three communities to bring them together. So that, that's what Park is, is, is that attempt to bring uh, my long-term vision of how those three areas work together and give it a, a physical reality. I also think over that time, particularly younger folks have maybe been less involved with um, bar associations. Um, and I think I, I really value bar associations. I think they do really important work. But I do think there's some element of what happened in the publishing industry that's sort of happening to bar associations. And some will continue to thrive and be successful. But I candidly think there will be fewer of them and that people are going to be looking for alternative ways to get together. And I think in the pandemic, all of us of all ages got a crash course in how to sort of connect virtually and online. And I think that new skill set for some of us, some of it's a digital natives maybe already had that skill set, but other of us had to learn it. And I yeah. think now we can all meet in this kind of new environment and get to know each other better. And I think it's a really great way to network. Um, takes some getting used to, but you can actually accomplish a lot. And as we try to manage our time, even when hopefully many of us are going back to the office or going into some hybrid situation, even then, it would be a mistake, I think, to lose this new skill set we have, which is to, to uh, network in that virtual world and get to know each other better. So I'm really excited about, you know, we have many uh, plans for Park, but right now we're in the sort of membership acquisition phase where we're bringing right. sort of the platform, exploring how we can all work together more effectively. But I think what we're trying to do is take the best of the social media tools and the best of what bar associations have to offer and bring it together in a sort of a uh, practice neutral. Any specialty area can participate, sector neutral. You can be in-house, you can be outside, you can be legal tech, um, and also geography neutral. So you could literally be anywhere in the world and participate in our community. So is, is, Park, is, is Park part of your exit plan or exit plan from the law, or are, is it designed so that you or you're hoping that you'll be able to do both and, and continue both? And if, if, it's the, uh, if it's the latter, how do you see that working for you personally? 
Well, I, you know, for me, litigation is fun. I know for my clients, all clients, I don't think always enjoy it. And, and I'm very close to many in-house lawyers who, uh, you know, it's sort of a cost of doing business, I think. Uh, uh, so, but I, it, for me, like I was a high school athlete and, and to me, litigation is kind of the law version of competitive sports. You get to win, it's clear cut, you know, and I enjoy that. I think that's fun and I, it, it, it gets my competitive juices flowing. So I'm very happy to continue doing that for as long as uh, people w- will want to work with me. <laughs> and I think it's uh, it's like getting back on the field and, you know, uh, getting back on the gridiron and, and uh, you know, throwing the ball around. So I think that's a lot of, I think it's a really interesting practice area. So, so this is not really an exit strategy so much as something that, um, I enjoy doing. I think uh, people that join are benefiting and I I believe in constant feedback, just like I do when I practice law. You mentioned clients don't always want to, you know, talk about uh, sort of the business side. Um, But I always, you know, I think somewhat unusually, because given the reaction of my clients over the years, I think sometimes they're surprised. I'll often say, look, I, I think we got, I think we both agree we got a great result in this litigation, but I would like to spend some non-billable time with you talking about how did this work for you personally? How did this work for your company? Um, please share with me the business side of it, as well as your personal side. Uh, you know, is there what can we do in the future? So I think that kind of um, I think when you go to other industries outside of law, there's a degree of sophistication in sort of the uh, research arm of customer. Right. Um, and I tried in my own way to bring that to my legal practice. Um, so um, that's, um, I think, something that I try to do in my outside ventures as well. What is the membership experience? How can we do it better? And one thing that's great, and I've learned on, if you have sort of a SaaS platform, a software as a service platform, what's great is the turnaround time to add new features is so much quicker than when you're operating right. brick and mortar business. So that's an exciting place to be where someone says like, so at Park, we're pretty much set up yeah, we there are some limitations in what we can do, but if if a member wants a new feature on the site, if 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 we if, if it's feasible uh, technically, you know, it's a matter of weeks, and we can add the new feature right. on the site and test. So, how many people are in Park right now? So it depends how you define it. So we have very large social media presence and a very large email presence. You're such a lawyer, Chris. No, <laughs> oh, no, it's it's true. I mean, we just launched the site in August, the new site. Oh, okay. We have, uh, you know, over 100 people on the site, like interacting on a regular basis. They're kind of our beta users. Um, we have, uh, I think we, we have LinkedIn, a LinkedIn group, which is many thousands of people. So a very large LinkedIn presence. And that's sort of our pool from which we draw potential members. And then we have a, a large email list that we've built because we've been doing brick and mortar events for over 10 years. And right. who attended, We'll, we'll, you know, we'll get their permission to add them to our email list. And then, of course, they can opt out if they choose to do down the road. But many, many thousands of people on our email list as well. So and and, and I know that uh, under different hats uh, in your various entrepreneurial ventures, you've done um, commission surveys and things like that. Is that going to be part of PARC or put on this? So we um, don't want to get too much into inside baseball, but we, you know, we also, um, have a, a another venture we called in the house, which was the in-house component. Um, so what we've done within the house is that's really become our think tank arm where we do those kind of surveys and white papers uh, that are typically sponsored. 
Sometimes they're not sponsored and we just do research for the edification of the industry, depending if it's a matter of particular interest. Um, but we also do sponsored surveys and white papers, uh, focus groups, things like that. And that's actually just a, a, a something that I think the industry needs. I mentioned we need more um, customer research, client research into how to better meet client needs. So we typically focus on those types of issues. They're anonymous surveys. And I think they advance the state of knowledge regarding uh, best practices, both for in-house lawyers and outside lawyers. Right. That's my sweet spot or our sweet spot for those surveys. So I thought it made more sense to make in the house sort of a think tank uh, where we can bring together experts, share information, and the social media piece is really under park. And we bring all three, I think of the, the BLT sectors, the business oriented right. The legal expert out primarily in law firms, but sometimes other places in the in terms of the niche specialties, and then the legal technology expert. So, so, so to summarize, I think in the house, which has its own, is sort of like the think tank, sort of uh, uh, white paper generating group, right. and Mark is going to take over the the social interactive networking aspect of it. Right. So, so Chris, um, I guess two questions. The first is the simplest one. Um, I hope. If someone wants to learn more about either uh, either uh, of your entrepreneurial events or about Chris Colvin, uh, patent litigator extraordinaire, what's the best way to get in touch? Well, um, I, I think if you want to find uh, what, about what we're doing at Park, you can do Park is with a C, by the way, P A R C uh, legal.org. Um, so you can go to parklegal.org and learn more about us. You can email me at chris at parklegal.org. You can also, uh, you know, Google me. There aren't that many Chris Colvins. It's, uh, you know, it's it's not like uh, John Smith or something. So you can usually find me. I'm not, unfortunately, the basketball player who was a star in college and I think plays in some form of professional basketball. Because when you when people Google me, they sometimes find a basketball player. So I wish that was me, but it's. I, I get confused with I think the ambassador to Canada, former C general counsel of Comcast. So yes, I. <laughs> So some easy enough to find. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I welcome inquiries. In fact, I, I love speaking with legal practitioners. If they're potentially interested in joining PARC or getting involved with a survey, that's great. Uh, I really just enjoy one-on-one -on -one networking in addition to the sort of group networking that has been sort of the bread and butter of my entrepreneurial projects over the years. And, 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 and Park is designed for um, all, all ages, as it were, in, in your professional career. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, we're probably in this beta phase a little more, even though we're a 10-year-old organization in terms of the online platform, we're still relatively in beta mode. And we're primarily attracting senior in-house counsel, outside counsel, and um, legal tech execs, and more at the GC and AGC level, at the law right. partner or senior counsel level, and at the sort of tech execs or the C-suites at the legal tech companies. Um, but over time, we do hope to you know, have a very uh, big tent so that more junior lawyers have a place in our community as well. So we, we want to... Uh, be a big tent over time, but we also want to build up niche groups within the park community so that, for example, if you're a general counsel and you really are only interested right now in talking with other general counsel, we will accommodate that. But if you're right. interested in talking to legal tech peers at the legal technology space because you want to learn more about certain areas of 
uh, legal technology, then that would be open to you as well. So we want to have a, um, a, a big platform over time, but allow each user to have their own bespoke journey that's sort of tailored to what their own interests are and what they're right. Right, 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 right. And so uh, what last, last piece of advice to uh, budding lawyer entrepreneurs, whether you're a, a fresh, a newbie out of law school or 35 years and you said, I'm sick and tired of doing the same thing every year, day in, day out. What, what piece of advice do you have for folks who are looking to kindle their entrepreneurial spirit who are, who are also lawyers? Well, I was going to facetiously say run screaming in the other direction. No, I'm just kidding. So uh, it, there are a lot of challenges. So, um, you know, one, it, it is not easy, particularly, you know, I guess I chose this path, but bringing innovation to a very traditional industry has its challenges. Um, it also has that. <laughs> as I, you know, when I speak to, um, for example, when I speak to our sponsors, I very often say, look, um, lawyers can be very challenging. We're a tough sell, you know, we're tough not to crack, but also very loyal so that once we're convinced in our own mind that uh, something is a good, uh, say, a good firm to work with or a good technology to use, if uh, the person or the technology is performing well, we can be extremely loyal. So it's almost like there's a big barrier to entry, but that once you're in, you're kind of protected by that in some fashion. So um, so but just generalizing that to all areas of entrepreneurship. It's absolutely essential that you do this because you're interested in it. I would not recommend jumping into entrepreneurship as a way to make a quick buck. It, it, you know, it, it, yeah, I think in-, in It's a way to, to lose a quick buck, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, so my advice is, and this is what I try to do, I only do projects outside projects, which I personally find fascinating, rewarding. So the way I like to think of it is I would do this even if it, it, I was doing it for free because I enjoy it so much. Um, and I think that's sort of the standard that I would advise people to follow. One is it's hard to keep your energy up as an entrepreneur. And if you're not absolutely fascinated by the work itself, you can get, you know, it can get tough because yeah, you might get lucky and you know you, you hit a home run the first time at bat, but that I think you talk to most entrepreneurs and that doesn't typically happen. Um, when it happens, it's great. More power to those folks that are able to achieve that. But I do even in that case, it's still great to, to be doing something you really enjoy. So first of all, if you're going to do it, pick something you really enjoy. I also recommend um, picking something that complements your day job. So you know, I guess you know, you could, you, there could be a school of thought where you want to do something completely different, you know, right. You have a, a passion for some hobby and you want to pursue that. I think that's okay too. That's not where, that's not where I fit in. I, I always thought, Hey, why don't I do something in a space where it will bear fruit in my day job? So a lot of around networking and growing relationships, those are helpful in most people's day jobs. And it's also really good socially to know really smart, interesting people in different sectors. So I would recommend do something on, if you're going to do something on the side, do something that you really are find very interesting, which will bring you new friends, maybe bring you potential uh, business associates or clients or, or uh, you know, uh, or referral sources, depending on where, in, in where you practice law. Um, I also recommend that you build a team either informally or formally so that it's not all on you so that you have 
people that can back you up, you know, if things get busy in your day job or different things happen, it's good to have a, a team, even if it's just an informal board of advisors that you can call on to say sub in on a, you know, on a, if you have a Zoom meeting about some topic and something happens in your personal life or your business life, I recommend having people that can back you up. Um, but definitely the, the most important thing is, is pick something that you really find interesting. Really enjoy, because otherwise there's too many, too many, too much grind. Yeah. Uh, um, by the way, a corollary to all of that is probably, you know, keep your day job, you know, don't, don't like, I know there's, at least I've been reading during the pandemic. A lot of people are sort of like, you know, yeah. Uh, uh, don't don't be like Cortez and burn the ships. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I recommend I don't recommend that approach. So I think um, you know um, one there is that um, you know the grass is always greener sort of thing, and I can definitely tell tell all of you from experience that you know well entrepreneurship has its rewards. It also has its challenges, and yes, something where I would put your toe in the water before you jump in um, because like I think like any job it has uh there's surprises there's things that work out as expected but there's plenty of things that are different and also as you know many many people have said uh, you know there's a lot of pivoting that happens so you have to be prepared to be flexible and to pursue different I mean one giant pivot obviously was the pandemic right we all pivoted in our day right 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 it, it, it's it's really a challenge I think I think it's especially you know, since we're talking, we're addressing this to lawyers who tend to be uh, professionally and, and and I wouldn't say culturally, but uh, you know, attitudinally very, very conservative in their approach to things. And you know, it, it there are lawyers who fit the stereotype of the serial entrepreneurs, but they're not many. And no. I think I think it's it's a training that as you know as you as you mentioned into learning how to be an entrepreneur. Right. And don't give up your day job while you're figuring it out. Otherwise, you're going to be pretty hungry pretty fast. Yeah, and also, this is probably obvious to most lawyers, but uh, don't, don't do it under the table on the side. Make sure you're... Oh, yeah. Knows what's oh, that's, that's the elephant in the room, you know, the, the legal conflicts thing. And, and that's sort of why it's interesting that you, you were thinking the, um, the uh, uh, you know, tangential to your day job. But it has to be tangential in a way that it's not going to generate conflicts. Correct. And that's the big, the big challenge. And, and that's why networking is very, you know, is ingenious from that perspective, because what you've been doing is it's, it's not really a conflict. It just I mean, there's no conflict about, you know, meeting people and saying hello and being nice to them. Right. Um, exactly. And I think um, what one thing you do, I'll deal with one objection I hear sometimes. Um, people sometimes think, well, I can't spend much time networking because I don't want to give away client confidences. And I always, my reaction to that is who's better than lawyers at managing, uh, you know, confidential information. So I, my answer to that is don't do it. You know, don't, don't share confidential information. You know how to protect your client's confidential information, just protect your firms or your uh, companies. If you're in-house protect their confidential information the same way, and they should trust you to do it. And that's, I don't see that as much these days, but when I first started, sometimes people were hesitant to participate because they were concerned about that type of information sharing. Well, yeah, no, and I saw that too. Definitely, when I started, uh, when I was in the big, in the big, in the big uh, company, right. they didn't want us to go out networking and stuff like that. And some of it, I think, was just actually um, the general counsel wanted to be the one to network and didn't want anyone else to go out there and undermine them. But right. you know, even 
even in such a circumstance, right, it, it, there's a difference between, you know, going on a panel to talk about something that's near and dear to your company's heart that, you know, you might screw up and meeting people in, in a human interaction or developing stuff uh, uh, and creating relationships that um, at the end of the day, if, if your day job is not letting you meet people and talk to them like human beings, yeah. you know, guarded about your, then you probably have the wrong job. Yeah. And, and by the way, that's one of the long-term goals at Park is to try, you know, the law is a big ship and it, it turns slowly. And I, I get that and understand that. Uh, but I do think uh, particularly, I think you can apply this to both legal departments and law firms. I would really like to get to a place where, let's say you're a, an associate general counsel at a, a sizable company. I would like to get to a place where the company is not only tolerant of you developing your own career, uh, but fully supportive of that. Yes, go out and network, speak at conferences, uh, speak on Zoom sessions now during the pandemic, you know, right. so, because I do think that um, enlightened companies, in my view, want, and I would say the same for law firms, they want their um, employees to be successful, even if that means going somewhere else, because then you have an alumni community that is, will talk up your company, maybe become a client if you're a law firm, maybe they become a client of the firm. Um, and I think we should think long-term as companies um, and make sure that our, our people are really being groomed. And I think, the, you know, sometimes you see the attitude of wanting to keep the talented people under wraps, like you don't yep. want competition to get them. But I think it's, uh, apologies for my dog, I think we had a delivery, <laughs> the, the, the hazards of, uh, of Zoom calls during the, uh, during the pandemic. But, um, you know, I think um, that attitude of, we're keeping these talented people in house and we don't want them out there circulating because someone might hire them away. I think that's an example of short-term thinking. Well, it's, it's a lot, it sort of runs from a lot of not invented here business and which is, as we know, in the, in the disaggregated world of innovation nowadays and just business that doesn't always work very well. Correct. And it also creates sort of a stultifying culture uh, within the company. And, 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 and you know, I, I, the better, managers that I've seen, whether what in any context, are those that are willing to train you and are happy for your success wherever you go because, you know, uh, it's 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 a it's a big world, but it's a lot smaller than people think. And, you know, you think that your life is forever and wherever you are, but it's a long you know, there's a long arc of history in your own personal profession. And if you keep in touch and you're good with people, your mentors, your mentees, your reports, your bosses, um, you know, like never burn bridges because you never know where you're going to be. And um, it, it's definitely a, a, a very valid point. Yeah, and I think we can all take a page here from Silicon Valley companies where I think it's common knowledge that those companies groom lots of high quality engineering talent and business talent. And there's a lot of movement between companies. Right. Very often, that leads to both the company, you know, say the person leaves, the company starts a new company. There often then will be a partnership between the two companies in a mutually beneficial way. So the, there's less of a view of uh, a talent drain, more as maybe that's an opportunity for both companies. So I think- especially, especially as there's more specialization within the law, for example, a lot of law firms are specializing 
in different aspects of things. And, and, you know, uh, just, but even like some of the most white shoe of the white shoey firms, I remember hiring one of them in the UK and, um, they had a magic circle that they call, and they referred, um, me to an associate, a senior associate who just wasn't going to make partner at the firm. And he started his own shop and it was a great relationship. And, uh, they were both very complimentary to each other. And, it, you know, and, and those are the kinds of small things, but, you know, definitely uh, allowing your employees within, within you know, reasonable limits to, to sort of explore them different aspects, I think, is, is going to redound to everyone's benefit. Yeah, and I think you know, that does one larger issue I want to touch on, which is I do think um, some disruption is coming to the legal profession. It's maybe been a little slow in coming, but I do think it's going to happen. And my message to all legal professionals, whether you're on the in-house side, the outside counsel side, or the legal tech side is, I think we're better off uh, disrupting ourselves and innovating ourselves, because if we don't, I think there is risk that the disruption comes from some form from the outside. Um, Right. I think that's hard to predict how it's going to be and be really challenging. Yeah, and I, and I think by innovation, by innovating in various ways, I think we can better serve our clients, whether we're an in-house lawyer with one client or an outside counsel with dozens of clients or a legal tech company with thousands of customers. I think innovation will ultimately better serve the business side. And so I think we need to figure out how do we innovate to become more client-driven and more efficient. Definitely. And, and, and on that note, Chris, thank you again for, for spending time. Really appreciate it. Uh, you have a fascinating career. I'm sure uh, uh, anyone who wants to know more about Chris's many, many endeavors can look him up. Uh, we'll post uh, some information um, uh, when this goes out on social media uh, to follow up. But once again, thank you for joining us and uh, looking forward to um, our next podcast and looking forward to keeping in touch with Chris uh, uh, as well. Thank My you again. Part. Thanks, David. It's-